Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Ashley Hamer. And I'm Natalia Reagan. Today, Neil Shubin is back to talk about viruses lurking in your DNA. You'll also learn about whether it's true that turkeys are so dumb that they drown in rainstorms and why domineering people don't rise to the ranks any faster. Let's satisfy some curiosity. I don't want to freak you out, but not all of your DNA comes from your ancestors. Nearly 8% of the human genome comes from viruses. Viruses in your DNA. But according to today's guest, those viral genes have a silver lining. Neil Shubin is a biologist and best-selling author, and his latest book is entitled Some Assembly Required, Decoding 4 Billion Years of Life from Ancient Fossils to DNA. And I asked him, how the heck did viruses end up in our DNA? Well, good question. So, you know, you think about what a virus is, I guess this is very relevant. You know, a virus is a little piece of genetic material, either RNA or DNA. It's a tiny little piece of genetic material surrounded by a shell, more or less. And there are a huge diversity of viruses. I should say, you know, the estimate just in the ocean of viruses, there are 10 to the 31st power of them. That is a 10 with 31 zeros, number of viruses in the ocean. That's more viruses in the ocean than there are stars in the observable universe. So just that, let me just put that down there for a second. They're just oh huge God. viruses. Yeah, so, and viruses basically, they are, you know, they sit at the margins at the edge of how we define living things, you know, because for the most of the time, they're kind of inert. They just sit there as, you know, little pieces of genetic material that do nothing on their own. But then when they come in contact with a host cell, like a whole chain reaction happens. They attach to the host cell. They go into the host cell. They commandeer the genome in different ways of the host to make more copies of themselves. And they can produce about, each cell can produce, host cell can be like a little factory that makes viruses, about a million of them, before it dies. So basically, they're, they're the ultimate parasites, right? And so throughout evolutionary history, throughout eons, viruses have continually invaded the genomes and cells of our distant ancestors. Some of them have made it actually into our, our own DNA. As I said, 8% of our DNA are these sort of ancient viruses that attacked DNA, entered the DNA only to be knocked out. Um, and, you know, you, so you see these ancient viral structures. It's almost like a graveyard of, uh, of ancient viruses inside of our DNA. It's a huge amount. But the story gets more interesting still. There was a team a few years ago, recently, uh, at the University of Utah. And they're not virologists. They didn't care about viruses at the time. They were studying memory, genes that are active and control memories in humans, how they work. And so as, you know, as good biologists, they started to look at the structure of the gene and the structure of the protein the gene makes, you know, just to kind of know how it works. You know, and they were studying it, and they popped it under the microscope to take a peek at what it looks like. And the lead researcher looked under the microscope, looked at the protein of this memory gene, and he swore he saw it before. And, you know, when he saw it before, he saw it when he was um, a student taking an infectious disease class. He recognized it as a virus. It turns out that this gene that makes memories was originally a virus that was repurposed to play a role in, in memories. And so there are um, viruses that have attacked our genome. Some of them have been knocked out and sit like you know, corpses inside the genome for eons. Others have been repurposed to do new things, in this case, this memory gene in humans. And indeed, some of the proteins that work in the human placenta uh, actually also have a, a viral origin. So viruses, uh, you know, we live in a balance with viruses, which obviously sometimes goes awry. 
But sometimes viruses can be fuel for evolutionary change. But either way, we are part virus. Almost 8% of our genome are, are ancient viruses. Again, that was Neil Shubin, a biologist and author of the book Some Assembly Required, Decoding 4 Billion Years of Life from Ancient Fossils to DNA. You can find a link to pick it up in today's show notes. When it comes to stupid animals, turkeys are generally ranked near the top of the list. Natalia, how dumb are they? Well, Ashley, they're so dumb that when it rains, they stare up in the sky in fascination until their mouths fill up with water and they drown themselves. Well, eh, that's the story anyway. It turns out that that's all it is. A story. Let's take this myth apart piece by piece. Drumstick by drumstick. Wishbone by wishbone. Do you want me to keep going on? I'll stop. First of all, even if turkeys were that dumb, this doesn't make sense from the turkey standpoint. Turkeys have monocular vision, which means that their eyes are set on opposite sides of their heads. That gives them a wider field of vision so they can spot approaching predators. While you or I would look up to examine falling raindrops, turkeys would tilt their heads sideways to point one eye toward the sky. Second, turkeys aren't really all that stupid. Charles Darwin once praised their acute powers of observation. He noticed that they could recognize friendly dogs they'd seen before. And the naturalist Joe Hutto wrote a book about the experience raising a group of wild turkeys. He got particularly attached to one he named Turkey Boy. He wrote, quote, Each time I joined him, he greeted me with a happy dance, a brief, joyful display of ducking and dodging, with wings outstretched and a frisky shake of the head like a dog with water in its ears, end quote. Turkeys have a lot going on upstairs. Okay, then how did this myth get started? Do turkeys make a habit of looking up in rainstorms? Actually, yes, if they're unlucky enough to have a specific genetic condition. Some turkeys have inherited a neurological disorder called tetanic torticollar spasms. The condition causes muscular spasms that make a turkey bend its neck back so far that its head rests on its back, with its beak directed toward the sky. The spasms can last anywhere from a few seconds to more than a minute, and are sometimes triggered by sudden loud noises, like the thunder of a rainstorm. Even with its beak open, though, a turkey won't drown after a minute in the rain. Let's hope it's not El Nino. While turkeys are no ornithological Einsteins, they're not brain dead either. So it's time to gobble up this holiday myth and put it to bed. There's a stereotype that everyone who succeeds in business is, at their core, selfish, domineering, and not so nice. Think the Wolf of Wall Street and the Devil Wears Prada. But recent research suggests that that's not necessarily true. According to a new longitudinal study, combative and manipulative people don't actually get ahead at work. Over the course of 14 years, a research team tracked people to see what happened to the ones who were the most disagreeable. These people fit the profile of a winning competitor on The Apprentice, stereotypical hustlers who do anything at all to get ahead. Researchers first met the participants when they were in college and analyzed their personalities. Then, when the people were solid members of the workforce, the researchers came back to see how well the most aggressive people did at work. The participants who showed the most signs of aggression, political maneuvering, and selfishness when they were in college did not have any more power 14 years later than the friendliest among them. That finding was true regardless of the participants' age, gender, or ethnicity. The takeaway? Not all selfish, mean people are destined for workplace success. 
In another study, researchers looked more closely at people's behavior at work. They divided possible behaviors into four categories. The first was dominant, as measured by statements like, I'm willing to bully others to achieve important goals. Political behaviors were rated with statements like, I build alliances with important people. Statements like, I care about others' well-being measured communal behavior. And competence was measured with statements like, I make important contributions to my team's success. For this study, the researchers collected the participants' ratings of themselves in these categories and the ratings their coworkers gave them, and the two ratings tended to match. The results? People who were high in all four types of behaviors tended to have more power. So yes, dominant people do get further in their jobs, but only when they're also good at their jobs and get along with others. So according to this research, at least, nice guys don't always have to finish last. They can get to the top as long as they have the right combination of personality traits and good old-fashioned skill. Let's recap the main things we learned today, starting with... We learned from biologist Neil Shubin that almost 8% of the human genome comes from viruses. And some of these viruses are dead and gone, like a virus graveyard. And some of these genes have actually been repurposed to do new things, like genes for memory. And some genes in the placenta also come from viruses. I found this to be absolutely fascinating. I love this idea of viruses being repurposed to serve a fantastic purpose in humans. Right. It's like the ultimate what does not kill me makes me stronger. Oh, yes. <laughs> We're just holding on to those viruses that we did battle with long ago. That's great. Yeah, I, I'm interested to see how other viruses, newer viruses will take hold and maybe change over time, too. I don't hmm, God, especially with covid the, the strange the really strange virus that we're now contending with right i would just jump in a time machine go a few billion years in the future find out how those that covid virus turn out <laughs> we might be on mars or on some exoplanet but uh hopefully we can find us <laughs> and we learned that despite the myths turkeys are not the dummies of the animal kingdom and they don't drown themselves in rainstorms by mindlessly looking up at the sky but this myth may have some basis, in fact, because some turkeys do have a neurological disorder that makes them tilt their head back in a spasm when they hear loud noises like thunder. So it's time to cut those turkey lurkies some slack and show a little respect. They've got stuff going on upstairs. Be good to our turkey friends. What did they ever do to you? We also learned that being aggressive is not a surefire way to be successful in business. And in one study, it appears that the most successful folks seem to have a really good balance of being self-assured, but also being incredibly competent in their field and having a sense of kindness and sort of communal behavior, making sure everybody in a team was taken care of, which sounds kind of ideal to me. I think there's a lot of emphasis in our species and, and our closest genetic relatives about this sort of idea that aggression and competition are what kind of fuel our behavior. And it's actually cooperation that really, I mean, if you think about a city like New York City or Chicago or Los Angeles or London or Paris, if it wasn't for cooperation and being good to each other and taking care of one each other and being competent, these cities would never exist or a business would never exist. I mean, there's a reason why some people fear public speaking as much as they fear death. And it's because rejection from the group is just as big of a risk for us as death is, because it basically is death. You need cooperation. You need people to accept you in order to thrive. And I feel like that right there is evidence of how cooperative we are as a species. We just need each other. Yeah. 
That's absolutely true. That's why I think things like quarantine have been so hard is we we need each other. <laughs> and also, although a Zoom call is nice, it's not the same as being all together. I actually saw friends for the first time in eight months this weekend. Oh, my God. How was it? It was great. It was a socially distanced outdoor barbecue just with six people there. And we all sat on separate sides of my friend's yard and we enjoyed the unseasonably warm November weather. And it was great. But I really missed it. Yeah. Oh, that sounds lovely. Yeah, it's it's definitely a time that it's making us really appreciate our friends, I think, and our family. And all those times that we've been like, oh, I'm not going to go out tonight. I'm going to stay in. We're like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I should make some more time to to actually get out there and, and see folks. Exactly. Yeah. Today's stories were written by Ashley Hamer and Kelsey Donk and edited by Ashley Hamer, who's the managing editor for Curiosity Daily. Script writing was by Natalia Reagan and Sonia Hodgen. Today's episode was edited by Jonathan McMichael and our producer is Cody Goff. Join us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious. Stay curious.